Susan, butcher box to the rescue. The other night we had some friends over for dinner and we had no idea what to make. And I was like, guess what? We have a freezer full of meat. So my husband went down and thought out some chicken from butcher box and made the best cocoa van that we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, you'd have been screwed without butcher box because I know you ain't got no time to go to the store right now. That's true. I don't have time to go shop for meat or pick out the meat or find the best quality, low-priced meat. So ButcherBox does all of that for me. So true story, my husband's workplace has a Slack channel called Smoked Meats. And I know you can't like win a workplace conversation, but he is now because with ButcherBox, his great cuts of meat to the door, they can cook up and take photos of for his workmates. <laughs> I love ButcherBox and I think other people would too. ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, with curated, customized box plans. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork, raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. There are a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive membership deals. They also provide recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Sign up at butcherbox.com proof and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer, plus an additional 20% off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com proof and use code proof to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. If you're listening to this show, then I'm going to guess you're a fan of True Crime Podcasts. So in the mornings, grab your favorite mug and pour yourself a dose of spine-tingling true crime every a.m. with Morning Cup of Murder. It's a short daily show that's the perfect podcast to incorporate into your morning routine. In less than 15 minutes, you'll hear about a true crime that took place on today's date in history. Each day's dark history lesson will kickstart your morning with intriguing tales of murder, abduction, serial killers, cults, and more. So pour yourself a piping hot cup of murder every single morning with Morning Cup of Murder. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Proof Sidebar. New episodes of Proof covering the case of Lee Clark and Kane's story are released every Monday. But sometimes on Thursdays, you'll see mini episodes like this one, Sidebars. It's a chance for us to answer listener questions about the cases we cover on Proof and talk about things going on behind the scenes, as well as other true crime topics. I'm here this week with Jacinda Davis and Kevin Fitzpatrick of Red Marble Media, as well as Dan Whitrock, a.k.a. Dan the Cameraman. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the show. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got ended up here on Sidebar with us. Hey, um, for many years, I've been working as a director of photography with Red Marble, shooting interviews around the country and the recreations. Um, and um, they asked me to come out on the road to uh, down to Georgia to kind of film with them and do some kind of partial behind the scenes, partial shooting the interviews with some of the real people as well. And um, yeah, I just thought it was a great idea. And I just really like the focus on people who have been wrongfully convicted and at least finding proof to see whether people are actually in there for the right reasons or not for any reasons really at all. And what were your impressions of Rome, Georgia? Rome, Georgia is a nice little quaint part of the country. Um, and it's sort of cute. 
it's just a nice cast of characters, let's say. It's a really nice um, just melange of different types of people that we kind of got to interview and see and uh, from, yeah, and just from more in the city center and more out in the backwoods. And what, one thing I want to chime in real quickly with about Dan is, so Dan went down to, to film a bunch of this stuff eventually, so the audience knows we're going to be putting some videos up on a YouTube channel where people can see visuals right. of some of these segments that we're doing. And we're just sort of getting the first few episodes of the podcast out. And then we will, we will add some of these video clips um, so that people can see some of this stuff and see the characters, which yeah. I think will be interesting. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting aspect because it's one thing to hear from people, but then to to see them and what they look like and their the environment where we're doing the interview adds a lot to the podcast. I think. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to give anything away, but there are at least one or two sort of people who are involved in this story who you will need to see what they're saying. I think. Yeah, and the video it will be extremely important for some that we cover on this podcast. Audio yeah. alone won't cut it. Yeah, agreed. Um, but Dan got thrown into this case kind of uh, in media rust, I guess. How much did you know before you got down there, actually? I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so you just got jumped in the van and suddenly you were driving off to middle of nowhere, Silver Creek and hearing the story starting yeah, to I in mean, front of you. Yeah, I mean, even, which somewhat is like kind of um, fun to sort of piece things together. But yeah, sometimes it's like, you know, a little confusing to like slowly piece things together. It took a while to to fully grasp, but it was, yeah, those first few days was definitely slowly figuring out like, who are we talking to? Who is this person we're rolling up to their house? And, and uh, you well, know. One of the interesting things, just for a little quick backstory for Jacinda and I is we've worked with Dan for, for years. I mean, 10 years probably, Dan. And, and yeah. he's, he's shot interviews for us all over the country and all over the world for some of the TV shows that we do. And so we hire him all the time because we trust him and because we like working with him. So I think when, when Dan got this assignment in Georgia, he treated it like any other assignment. Like I'm gonna go film something for Red Marble. I'm gonna go down there with Kevin or Jacinda and we're gonna film something. And you know, I don't need to know that much about it and I'm gonna make it look great. And I'll probably learn something when I'm there. And he sort of got embedded into this story with you two. And I think he grew to really, really enjoy the story and enjoy working with you and so he became part of the story because he sort of became embedded in it but the, i don't think that was in his mind when he got on the plane yeah no, not, yeah <laughs> you didn't know that you'd have uh mics running 24 7 and your every conversation being recorded i you didn't realize that. on the show yeah, you were just behind the camera yeah, yeah i did not realize that yeah <laughs> when uh yeah i was not a, i was like oh i'll be no one will ever hear me no one will ever see me <laughs> and now now look at you dan and now <laughs> yeah i mean I, I got the phone call i don't know i guess i had already left the first trip and i got like a call from jacinda or something saying so dan's in the show now <laughs> it's like okay well it's hard i mean we talked about this a little bit on on the first sidebar but when, when you're done filming an interview or recording an interview and we all get back in the van, you have to talk about it. There's so much to unpack from these interviews um, that just became a natural thing that we'd, we'd all start talking about it. And, and some of the best moments are during those conversations. Yeah. Dan had sort of rigged the entire car with cameras um, and microphones so that all of those conversations 
could be documented. Uh, and it was really interesting. And you also have to remember that you're constantly being recorded. Um, I know one thing we talked about a lot on the road was uh, the pillow. <laughs> I feel like the pillow is one of those things in this case that has a very outsized presence where it's, it's part of almost every aspect of the story. And yet you keep coming back to the central question of like, why, why the pillow? Why are we still talking about it? Um, but we have to, because one, it's the thing that basically unites every witness in this case. I, I can think of maybe one person we talked to who was like, pillow, what pillow? Other than that, everyone else is like, yeah, the pillow, that's why they're guilty. Um, and if they know nothing else about Lee Clark or Kane's story or this, this case, they know that there's a pillow involved and it proved guilt somehow. And it feels like it's almost, it's almost mythical, right? Like everybody in this case, as you said, sort of, knows about it or has a theory about it, but it seems like very few people actually know all the facts about it. And that I find very interesting as a story point. Everyone thinks they know everything, but very few seem to. I think it is interesting because the pillow kind of took on a life of its own where once people found out about the pillow, it seems like it, the rumors about this pillow spread very quickly. Um, and like you said, Kevin, everyone knows about it or they think they know about it, but nobody knows the truth about it or the facts about it. And I, I, I don't even know if we do still entirely. But no, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we don't. Yeah, I think one of the things that stood out to me is um, Amanda and Kenneth, who who both have pretty good memories about that night. They, they of course, it's it's not perfect memory. Um, but they have very different memories about the pillow. Um, Amanda remembers that there was a hole in the pillow and Kenneth says, no, 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 there was no hole. It was more, it was more like wrapped around the gun. Um, and I found that interesting because, you know, they have been together for 25 years now and they were both there that night and, and even, even their memories of it differ. I remember when we were interviewing Kenneth and Amanda had said that they didn't hear the gunshot go off and Kenneth had said he didn't hear the gunshot go off. And, and I just, I, I just sort of didn't buy that. And then when Kenneth explained later how the, the pillow would have been wrapped around the gun in his mind that was bent, then I started to understand that maybe it was, he was using it to muffle the sound or someone was using it to muffle the sound. And um, that was sort of a, a big moment in my head, like, oh, well, there could be there could be some murder thing going on here because why would you cover the gun like that? The, the if thing it was is, if, if it was covered, because the thing is, Angela Bruce is the exact opposite in what she says Lee right. specifically said at that party, which is the pillow was over Brian's head or at least in front of the gun. Yeah, she does say the pillow is placed over Brian's head, which, yeah. um, you know, it's a couch cushion. It's not, I'm still a, a bit confused about what is meant by that. Um, but it does mean that there, if, you know, Angela Bruce's story, which is the one that ties Lee there specifically claiming this specific thing of putting the pillow over his head, it does mean the pillow has to, due to forensics, when they look at that, has to have a hole through it. If you've shot in the head through the pillow, there should be a hole in that pillow. That goes straight through, yeah. There should be, there should in theory then be fabric inside the entry room, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys, what is your opinion on skull and crossbones? 
I don't think anything of it. I think kids yes. like, like to draw skulls and crossbones and pirates. And I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think of it as anything other than what it is. I mean, it's the, it's the ultimate warning symbol, right? It was sort of created for even people who were literate, like don't drink this, don't come near here. Like it's dangerous. I think that's still sort of all embedded in us. I mean, go back to when we were all kids watching those Warner Brothers cartoons. That's true. I didn't think of it like that. But I, I don't, don't think of it as like a satanic symbol. I don't think of right. it as one. I mean, so in the in the show, you heard that Debbie Kelly, the neighbor of the stories, um, who cleaned their house and found this notebook with the skull and crossbones on it, has a very strong reaction to the skull and crossbones. Um, the symbol to her signifies something very alarming. But it's also it's a it's literally one of the uh, images associated with bone thugs and harmony is just a skull and crossbones of just like that's you know which we all know is a, a band that all the kids liked you know it's just an image that yeah is like you know on their t-shirts and like stuff like that like it just yeah it seems like it's a it's a totally um, meaningless thing in terms of like you know them gonna they're, they're gonna kill somebody or something like just like oh this is just like you know, the image that's associated with their favorite band. It seems to me that it's a symbol that one can read some level of importance into if a crime has occurred or an accident has occurred yeah. that you want to make look as though it were a crime. It's very easy to take that image and go, well, look right here, which I think it was probably just harmless. Yeah. The other thing about the rule book is, and I don't understand this, so Susan, maybe you can explain it from a legal perspective, is how can you talk about it and use it as evidence in a trial when you don't have it, when there's no proof it even exists other than her word? Like, how, how is that able to come into the trial? because the jury's asked to evaluate her testimony about it and they can choose to believe her or not believe her. Um, but the lack of the document itself doesn't affect um, the ability of the jury to hear it. Is it, some, is it something that the, the defense I should have or could have, and maybe they, they did object to it? They objected for other reasons, um, but not uh, in terms of miscibility. I mean, the fact they couldn't find the, the physical object um, doesn't mean you can't talk about it at the trial. Okay. Um, of course, what's interesting to me is there's no indication they ever actually did try to find it. Um, they never, for instance, got a warrant to search Kane's trailer. Um, they never uh, try interview June, um, Kane's mother or his father about it. Um, they don't actually look for it. They just kind of accept that, okay, this woman saw it at the end. We don't need to worry anymore about it. And then uh, we didn't hear from him this episode, but we talked about uh, Charlie Childers and his brother Wayne Childers, who were probably the, I, I want to say pivotal witness in this case, at least for Lee. Um, for Kane, there's obviously uh, more evidence about his involvement because he was there that, that night. He was in the room. There's no question that he was there when it happened. But for Lee, it's a different story. The evidence that he was there that night basically comes from Charlie Childers, seven months after Brian's death. He was a family friend of the Bowlings and a piece, some people recall seeing him there in the, in the trailer that night. He seems to have been there 
um, legitimately, but police didn't talk to him at the time. And it's only a May after Kane and Lee's arrest that he's actually interviewed. Um, and according to Dallas Battle, gives a statement that says he saw Lee running through the yard of the trailer that night after the gunshot went off. Yeah, I remember when we were down there trying, you know, talking to people investigating and, you know, it, it became clear that Charlie is such an important witness because he's the one, he's the only one there that night who says that he saw someone running and then picked out um, Lee, that it became very clear, Susan, that we had to do whatever we could to find him. Um, and as everyone hears in episode four, it's not easy to find him. Um, he, everyone knows him. Everyone knows Charlie. Everyone knows where they lived. Everyone knows that he used to work at the Silver Creek Mini Mart. And just our luck, you know, a few months before we get down there, um, uh, something happens to the family and they move out of their, their childhood home and, and no one knows where they are. Yeah. If we'd done this a year earlier, it'd been a lot easier. Yep. We do have some questions this week. We have one from Ginger Baden who wrote in to say, I'm a little confused. Today, Capri said she was talking with Brian on the phone, then got disconnected from the call and called back and someone else answered. I believe Brian's aunt said he was clutching the phone when they ran in the room after he was shot. How can both be true? Um, the phone sequence is a little complicated and everyone now has mostly forgotten it, which is why you don't hear audio on the show of them explaining what was going on because for the most part, they don't remember it. Um, from trial testimony, what seems to have happened is that when, when the gun goes off, the family rushes in, they find Brian on the, uh, clutching a phone in his hand or hits a phone with him and the family wants to call 911. So they grab the phone and they're dialing out and it was like an old school cordless phone. And as they're trying to dial out, for some reason, the line does not disconnect. Caprice is still on there. So they try and hang up. They turn the phone back on. Caprice is still on the line at the other end. And she hears them shouting. Um, and they're trying to hang up on her and failing initially. And then finally, they get the phone uh, turned off. The line goes dead. She hears the, you know, the dial tone on her end. And that's when the family's able to call 911 finally. But that's why the, the sequence of events is kind of confusing there. Yeah, I wonder if they had, I keep thinking they had call waiting, right? Do you remember call waiting from, no? no? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Kevin, do you? Can't I remember call waiting, here. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember call waiting. I think you and I are the only ones old enough to understand call waiting. But basically, um, yeah, if you're on the phone with someone, you could click the button and you could get another line or if someone's calling in, you could click and answer a second incoming call. So you wouldn't hang up on the other person. So if Caprice is still on the line and they're trying to, to dial out, they have to hang up on her first, but it's almost like every time they hit the hang up button, it would come back to her. Um, I don't know if that's true. It's just like in my head, I've always wondered. No, oh, that's, that's, that's how it worked. And, and, and call waiting was pretty standard in the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. um, so it's possible that they were just having a hard time hanging up in all that chaos. We also have a question from Evan Fitzgerald who asks, uh, trying to figure out how the girlfriend wouldn't have heard a noise. Is there a thing where a noise is so loud that a phone doesn't transmit the sound? I don't think that's a, there's a thing where it's so loud the phone doesn't pick it up. Um, but I will say I, I have encountered this issue in other cases before where there's been someone on a phone when a shot was or was not fired. Um, and my takeaway is that you're not always going to hear a gunshot through the phone. For whatever reason, it seems that this scenario happens. I don't know if it's commonly, but 
at least in other cases I've, I've come across where for whatever reason, again, the shot does not get transmitted over the line. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a sound technician in any way, but I do think that it's reasonable to assume that if whatever sort of sound range one of those receivers has, you know, or the phone handset has that if it's so loud or, or they're, they're a sound level that isn't sort of picked up by that particular microphone, I think that's possible, or it's just, it sounds just like something else other than a gunshot. Well, I've always wondered too, because the people in the trailer though also say they didn't hear, hear it. Right, that's true. Well, they heard a noise. They heard a very loud something, something. which they did they not thought, register as a gunshot, but they heard something. But I don't know that gunshots are necessarily recognizable as a gunshot if you're not familiar with what it sounds like, right? Yeah. Um, but if you're not expecting it and you're, it's out of the blue, would you, would you automatically say, oh, that was a gunshot? Or would you say, oh, what was that noise? Um, I don't know. One thing we do a lot while investigating is sign up for newspapers. Local papers all over the country try and track down some scrap of info from, I don't know, the random 2007 edition of the Memphis paper, just for hypothetical example. <laughs> hypothetical. But the problem is we always forget to cancel those subscriptions. Luckily, there's a solution for people like us who sometimes lose track of things, and that's Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you get full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. That's amazing. That's, that's all I want in life is for someone to always deal with customer service for me. It's like having a personal assistant. Rocket Money has over 5 billion users and has saved them over $500 billion and saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash proof. That's rocketmoney.com slash proof. Rocketmoney.com slash proof. Susan, it's no secret that I have been taking Nutrafol and loving it for a few months now. Susan, have you gotten your Nutrafol yet? I finally did. I'm on the Nutrafol train and I'm really excited because not going to lie, my hair's been a hot mess this whole season. I think this season has impacted both of our hair in not great ways. Our sanity, our health, and definitely like, like ripping hair out in frustration sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But thankfully, Nutrafol is there to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology. Take the hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code PROOF. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code PROOF.
That's Nutrafol.com, promo code PROOF. So no solid answer there. But what we do know is that Caprice, the phone was connected to her phone when the shot went off. Um, there's testimony that when the family came in, they saw the light in the phone was still on. They could hear Caprice on the other end saying like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, so they could hear her and she could hear them. So the line was connected when the shot went off. Whatever else happened. Yeah. One, one of the things I find really fascinating about this episode is you guys have captured and laid out the people who are essentially the witnesses in the story, right, in this one episode. And I think that that's really interesting for the audience to sort of get that, that laid out at one point. Like you've got, you've got Caprice and she's the closest thing we've got to somebody else who was in that room, right? Like she wasn't there, she didn't have eyes on it, but she was hearing what was going on in that room. And what she thinks happened versus what Dallas tells her. I mean, she's the closest thing as you've got to a witness to the room that night. And then you introduce the other people, you know, Angela and Deborah Kelly and Charlie Childers. And I think it's fascinating that, you know, all of these people are, are going to be the ones who play a role in, in these two guys being convicted. Yeah, outside of um, Brian's family, Caprice, Angela Bruce, Charlie Childers, Debbie Kelly are the sort of main fact witnesses um, in this case. It'll become an interesting thing for the audience, the rest of the show, figuring out. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? And did the police get their statements correct? And does somebody have a reason to lie? And there's, I think the stories of these four will become very interesting throughout the entire season. So Kevin, you're right. I mean, Caprice is, is the only other person who could hear what was going on in that room other than Kane. And as people know from the first couple episodes, Susan had reached out to Kane and we talked to Kane's mom and we were really, really hoping that we could connect with him. Um, and it took a while, but Susan, I, I still remember the day you called me and said, guess who just called? Um, and you so, knew too. Oh yeah. I knew right away. It was still hard to believe because it had been a while. Um, but it was certainly exciting. And, um, next episode be we hear from Kane hear from Kane and you'll actually be able to hear some audio from, from Susan's conversations with Kane. And, and he is, you know, I mean, he's the only one who knows for sure what happened inside that room that night. And I think it's amazing that you, that you guys got him makes the story that much more sort of intense and detailed and it's it's pretty compelling stuff it's pretty fantastic so tune for episode five on monday thanks for listening to this episode of proof sidebar we're back Monday with episode five. And if you have any questions for future sidebar episodes, don't forget to send them our way through email, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. On all social media, we are Proof Crime Pod. You can also find me on Twitter at The View from 2 or on Instagram at SOO Simp.